What's up? What's up? What's up? This is the Black Financial Initiative. This is Eric. You know, we have Larry, Terrence. Um, we have a special guest today. Um, you know, BFI always comes correct. And so I'm going to kick it to Larry to introduce our special guest. Man, we are super, super excited. We have our first author on our podcast today, Lisa Phillips. She's the author of Investing in Rental Properties for Beginners, Buy Low, Rent High. Lisa, how are you doing this morning? I'm so good. Thank you for having me on. I'm honored and blessed. So happy to be here. Yeah, we are super excited. Everybody knows I'm really big into investing in real estate. I originally uh, read Lisa's book a couple years ago and it, it stuck with me. So I, I decided to reach out to her and she was nice enough to decide to join us. So we're really happy for her to be here with us today. Thank you. All right. <laughs> All right. So we'll go ahead and get things rolling. Um, all right, Lisa, so tell us a little about yourself, your background, and what made you decide to invest in real estate? Bunch of ups and downs, so I'll just do the quick version. Um, I was in Las Vegas and uh, graduated right around 2005, 2006. And so I had graduated, got a job out of college, and I really just wanted to invest in real estate. Um, like all of you guys, some of us just have that real estate bug in us. It doesn't matter what age. We just always wanted to have our own home and our own place. It's just a really deep need. But up until then, we had sold all these Californians come in and drive up the prices of houses. So in 2005, we, I was not educated, nor was anyone in my family educated on like sustainable, uh, overpriced markets. We were just like, well, these Californians are just going to keep going and it's just going to go. We didn't see all that 2008, 2009 recession. So I purchased a really overpriced house that I would have purchased today in 2022, but made no sense in 2005. For the market and what happened was it was at the top of the market and then pretty quickly after that the whole entire market crashed with las vegas and miami being the worst so in some places you saw 20 30 percent okay i had to sell for this price but i'm underwater 20 percent. but in vegas it was like 50 to 60 percent and i was in that category i bought it i had lost my job there because of the recession then i got another one in like ohio uh, i had that job but then after two years lost that one and at that point i had this house back in vegas that had tenants in but i mean they were paying like 900 dollars less than the mortgage it was a little ridiculous now i had paid that to keep hold of it but in 2009 when the second layoff came on i was like i just have to let this go because i had been out of state for a little while and i had actually purchased a condo that was thirty five thousand dollars in ohio and I was like, this is really nice guys, because once I got outside of the West Coast, I realized that there's a real diversity of housing prices across the land. And so I had to let that go to foreclosure. And so because I had the foreclosure, it just inhibits you. But I still, but I was living in this $35,000 condo. My mortgage was like 350 a month, which even though I just lost my job with, you know, savings and, you know, unemployment it was, it was quite comfortable to live in. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. all of a sudden, you know, I'm in this dire situation, but because of the low cost housing and being open to different neighborhoods and finding out that the stereotype isn't always true, I just learned that there's a lot of benefit in going lower and versus higher. And I do stress it. I do this with respect for the people in there. So I don't just buy cheap properties. Like I understand who lives there because that's where I used to live. So I don't just go in there. I really am respectful that like I do see myself reflected in these families. So going in low, but also being very mindful that you do deliver a good product. You don't deliver a shoddy product to them. Your product is your house. You do right by them and expect the absolute same back. Like you don't give any quarter just because you're working class or 
make 17 an hour doesn't mean you can't keep your commitments, right? So it's just this equal partnership. And uh, that's sort of where I learned that um, in the real estate world, when you go to get information, the people who are generally getting the information are affluent. Um, they're part of mainstream white society. And so they just have a different viewpoint with money because everyone needs to understand this in their world, the average person has $100,000 net worth. So when they talk about things and align their money with things or give investment advice, it's for people in their world. Well, you do something a little different if everyone you know's net worth is on average 100,000. Of course, there's variations, but I've been in this game for 10 years and I speak to diversity of people. I meet a lot of people in that society who has like 100, 200, $300,000 in the bank, you know? So that's not, so it's an average and statistic, but you're like, is that real? I'm telling you, it's sort, it's real. They just don't talk about it because they have their own little culture. But because I'm a real estate investor and I'm an author, more people are more comfortable. But I realize that's true. So they were just giving advice to everyone. And their advice was like, you're not going to put your money in these neighborhoods. Are you crazy? <laughs> and so you went to go in information about real estate investing. And they were just adamantly like, you do not go in working class, lower income neighborhoods. And um, so when I got here and I'm like, you know, guys, it's actually not not that bad. Right. <laughs> like you just have to have discernment. And I grew up in it. So I was just really comfortable. I like, listen, these are okay. These, well, you gotta make sure your tenants are gonna want to stay because crime or this or that, but just learning how to read the market. And so I was just one person who just stood really firmly in that because I just didn't have any shame about being from these neighborhoods. I'm like, I gave me I grew up in a working class neighborhood. My dad was a garbage man. My mom worked at the like the cafeteria in the hospital, then graduated to be a technician. So just working class union kid. So I love working class culture, which is the backbone of America because it teaches you a hard work ethic. I tell people my dad went to work every day my entire life at 2.30 in the morning. And that's what you do in this culture. Like, you know what I mean? And, um, mm -hmm. you know, my mom worked graveyard or swing, whatever it needed. But like, you just get used to like you work, you work for what you want and it gives you a really good work ethic. And um, so when I started investing and looking at these properties, I'm like, you know, I know the mainstream isn't always comfortable with this, but there is difference in different neighborhoods and what you're likely to get and how good they are at paying rent on time. And I was just really comfortable talking about it because I can't do corporate America. Sorry if that was too long, but that's sort of like in a nutshell, like how I got here. No, that's perfect. It's great. I think we all can uh, identify a little bit, relate with that, that working mentality and just coming from mm -hmm. this middle class instead of... Uh, like I said, a lot of people that you try to, that you encounter that make the decisions and they're in a whole different bracket. So they are. Relate. They just, yeah. It's not that their advice is bad. It's not for us, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just not for me. It's for someone else, right? So speaking of kind of just the, the working class and right now, everyone uh, regardless of the class is a little bit being affected by the current state of the economy. So I have a question for you. So how does the current economy with inflation and the rising costs of uh, housing and most goods affect those looking to get started in real estate investing now? So I know one of your things in your, in your book is the sub 30K. Uh, so is that still the thing is sub 30K? It is. It is. We have to switch markets, right? But, you know, money flows. So you just have to find the next place where it's flowing to and get it before the money gets there. Because by the time the money gets there, it, you're priced out. But if you can sort of navigate before the money gets there, but you can sort of see, ah, this is the next spot, that's where the gold is because you get it before all that money flow in and causes the spike. So you can get to rise with just the market, which you can't control. It's like trying to control New York. You just can't control it. 
So right now with inflation, I'm telling my audience members and platform, if you've been thinking about this, especially if you're close to retirement, my predictions that I did a predictions, you know, um, 2022, but also in the long term, we're seeing a multi-decade inflationary period a la Venezuela, a la Argentina, right? Multi-decade. That is what I'm seeing. Um, there's nothing to show that we're not. There's nothing to have you even indicate that gas is going to go down from 459 back to 350. There's nothing to even indicate that, but there's all indicators that it's going to go up to seven and then eight. Um, food pricings are not going back. All indicators is that it's going to go up. Uh, all indicators, housing. Before we did have housing cycles, but all that money from quantitative easing that went to all the big multinational corporations who were doing stock buybacks because they had that close relationship with the treasury. Well, that money's now going into the market. So we can't assume there's going to be a housing collapse because yes, a lot of foreclosures over the last two years are coming on the market. That's word on the street. But you have these large Vanguard Black BlackRock companies mm-hmm. and there's others paying cash. We're not going to see that fall because they're the ones that are actually pricing people out of the market. They're buying cash. It's all very deliberate, but I don't want to go into conspiracies. But I do have an urgency when I say, you know, we're not going to see a downtrend. This is going to be the future. And what I do like about um, real estate investing and cryptocurrency, but we won't go into that real estate investing, that has been keeping pace with inflation um, and outpacing inflation. And, you know, there's nuance within there about you raising the rents or not raising the rents. If I have tenants in there, I generally keep them, especially if they're good tenants, just to sort of incentivize them to stay. Um, But if it's like on the market with these market rents, I mean, they have the market rents have kept up or outpaced inflation and it's going to continue to do that. Right. As you know, as inflation increases, Mm -hmm. wages will slowly increase, just not at the same pace. And people are paying more for the properties. So highly, highly there's urgency in me now that like if you've been thinking about (laughs) this, I I really suggest you get on it. And I prefer passive income versus active income because you can always get a side job like Uber or Lyft. Or, you know, Instacart, a lot of my friends do that on the side. Um, so you can always do that. But, you know, I always prefer passive and rental properties because the appreciation in addition to the passive income and keeping up with inflation. But it's bad, guys. And, and I, I don't think people understand what that means. Um, mm-hmm. You know, me being, I've always been, last 10 years, I've been real estate or other passive income streams. So people in my condition can weather the storms because we made ourselves not just a single income dependent um, person. So with those other streams, you can definitely navigate this. But if you don't have it, it's time to get it. And um, yeah, just no no excuses or else you're going to be complaining for a long time because it's not going back. That's my outlook right now. You said mm-hmm. um, passive income. Obviously, one of them is real estate. Do you have other streams of passive income as well? I do. I love passive income. That's the only thing I focus on. So if it's, <laughs> it's if it's not passive income, I'm not I'm not really paying attention to it. So you know, writing a book is really good. Everyone has a book that has an audience, and your audience doesn't need to be the world. Your audience could be twenty thousand people, but that's enough for you to have beautiful residual income. So people think they need to be so big. You don't. You just need to have a message that helps a particular or makes a particular group laugh. So I I recommend everyone if they have a book and you know when you do. Get it out to that audience because that's one stream and maybe your next book will be for 40,000 people and maybe the next book and this can be over 10 years, four years, right? It doesn't have to be all at once. Your next book can be for 60,000 people because when you spoke it, people gave you feedback and you realized, oh, there's more I can 
help you with. So that's one. Um, so I'm into cryptocurrency. So pretty much all of my money, pretty much half of it, the other half is sort of secure, um, mm -hmm. is staked, which means it, you get an interest rate and it's compound interest. So you get paid daily or weekly, pretty much like at least half. The other half is safe just because things can happen in the crypto world since it's still new. But the other half is earning 6% um apy 10 percent, 12 percent, 13 percent. so um i i have my money moving in those markets but in very low risk ways and i am right now like i don't have to but i'm getting into crypto mining right which is also passive income mm -hmm. you just have to pay for the cost of the miner and then you have to pay for the cost of electricity so pretty much everything i've done is just like different income streams and you know so i wrote one book but then two years later Right, the second. Like, I think people stop because they think they have to do everything at once. And I'm always cool. I'm like a turtle when it comes to making financial plans. And I try to tell other people it's okay to be a turtle because you don't have to do everything at once. Do it when you're comfortable, but just make sure you like what you're doing. So then it's not mm -hmm. work. What was your second book? Oh, well, uh, I have multiple, but the one was Crypto Alchemy <laughs> How to Manifest and Invest in Cryptocurrency. And mm -hmm. the second book after that was Which Cryptocurrency Should I Buy? How to Make buying cryptocurrency profitable, fun, and easy. So I actually, I actually applied all the real estate investing principles to crypto. And guess what? It works. Real estate investing <laughs> principles can be applied to business. It can be applied to everything, you know, and it always still works. Sounds like we're going to have to do a crypto episode and have you back on. So. <laughs> <No>. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's crypto really interests me with the new market and how, how things work with it. So when you talk about staking, I also have some and doing the same thing and like it's just interesting how that works. And so uh, I guess back to with the real estate, you know, you were saying that um, talking about the amounts like sub 30 is still available. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so um, I guess how much should an investor look to ask for monthly rent versus the, the cost of the investment? So if I spend a hundred thousand dollars or whatever to buy this house, yeah. should I rent it out for no less than a thousand dollars a month or whatever? Excellent questions. Um, so first I'll say, are they still available? Yes, because market and money moves. So as long as you realize that, so you can start out in San Francisco, but then what happens? The suburb of San Francisco, right? Get mm -hmm. full. And then what happens when those get too expensive? Money moves. So you just need to be good at identifying where it's going to move to. So there's all, and this is a very big country, right? So yes, right. there's always inventory available. It's just learning how uh, market and money flows so you can capitalize off that. And that's honestly low key what I teach is like learning how to read that flow. So you can be like, this is the one. So I actually find in the properties that I know about in the cities I know about, it's funny because Amazon like purchases there like afterwards, they're like, oh, new facility. And I was like, ah, so I guess they know what I know, right? It's funny. I'm like, well, we both understand how this goes, right? How to maximize mm -hmm. our profit. Uh, by looking strategically in different locations. Um, so there's, yes, they're still available because money flows and it's a big country. Now, on the other hand, how much cash flow? So this is, um, I'll just say generally in the bigger real estate world, they don't make much cash flow. So they really use like cash on cash return. Like I put a total of $20,000 invested. My cash on cash return each month and each year is 4%, 5%, 8%. A lot of people are happy mm. with like 6 and 8%. For us and our clients, and I'll tell you the real numbers, we get like 20 to 30% a year. So it's just, it's, oh, it's amazing. So there's a lot of cheap properties, but you don't want to buy a property because it's cheap because it, you know, if it makes like $300 a month, right? In rent, mm -hmm. like you can't, you, like the cost of repair is just going to completely outpace that. So just because it's a low cost property, doesn't mean in a low income property and it's like, oh, it's $40,000, doesn't mean you should buy it. You still need to be discerning. 
So my clients, we typically look to anywhere for, for a single family home, we're looking from 30,000 to about $60,000 in cost. And then um, we also look to be making anywhere from 400 to $700 in cash flow. So that's how we get those higher 20, 30% returns. Um, I teach them how to navigate like navigate it with class though, because you don't just want to buy a cheap property. You don't, there's mm-hmm. cheap properties everywhere. It doesn't mean you should buy them. So I keep stressing this because <laughs> I'm like, you, you still need to be an investor and there's different social criteria you need to le- learn in this particular price range that in others are not a big deal. You mm-hmm. don't know them. You can just really have something that you paid for and doesn't make you anything or you break even. And that's not the goal when you, when we do this. How are you finding these houses, I guess, and finding these deals? Good. Well, I do have my own systems and method that I teach people. And so I sort of just use that. And it's just a way of sort of looking at um, where the jobs are, where money's flowing to. So that's sort of what I teach when I work with people one-on-one, how to find the money flows. All right. So for your investing strategy, is cash flow more important than the value of the house? If so, why? Depends. Okay. So I'll say in this case, so I work with people who are all over the country. And they want a low cost house. They're like, I have a $20,000 budget. You know, I want to buy a property that makes me X amount. And Mm -hmm. it really will depend on that person because I might have a person who's like, well, I want to invest, but I want to be able to drive to the market, but they live in New York city. And it's like, well, you know, like that surrounding area is very expensive. So they might buy something that's a little bit more expensive and gets less cash flow. But for them, they just need a comfort level with being able to drive to that property for their first for their first house. And I work with people like that because you don't want to. I'm not the type who like, you know, I'm not full of testosterone. I'm not like, go, 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 risk it all. You know, get after glory. I'm not like Eric Thomas. Like, like I used to listen to him. He's like, if you if you need it more than you can breathe. And he's really intense. Right. But I was like, Ooh. I don't want to die for this, right? Like, I don't want to, like, I don't need any more stress in my life. So I don't do that. I'm like, listen, if that's what you're comfortable with, pay a little bit more money, right? And do that. And so you'll get a little less cash flow, but you're happier with what you're building. Mm-hmm. Or I might have other people who are who want this low, cheap house in this minority neighborhood, and they feel like they need to wear a bulletproof vest. I'm like, man, it's not worth it. Raise your price range. <laughs> yeah, you're, I mean, you're scared to death. You're not really comfortable. I'm comfortable, but you're not. Mm-hmm. Why would you get something just for money and it causes that much stress? So that's just not the way I do things when I work with people. And so in that case, I get them to sort of honor, like, this isn't just about money. It's also about your life and your quality of life. And why have this money coming in, but you don't like going there, you hate going there. There's houses I passed on. So I was like, I don't feel comfortable here. Uh-uh, no, I don't, I don't care how cheap it is in good shape. I'm not doing this. If I can't feel comfortable coming here, it's not about just chasing money for money's sake. And I think that's just something we always have to talk about just so people don't, their eyeballs get big at these low prices, but that can get you into trouble. So for them, they might pay more and maybe get 250 or 300 in cash flow, right? But then you have people like me who are from these neighborhoods and we're a little bit more comfortable. I get a lot of people that are like, look, I grew up in Harlem or I, before I got gentrified. I'm cool. I, can block. I know how to recognize things. Right. And that's just something you can't give someone. It's something you are born and raised with. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't yeah. give someone that comfort. Really teach the demographic. Yeah. yeah, you're born with it. Just like someone who's born in a higher end neighborhood. I remember I worked for this one guy and he wanted me to call the people and tell them to take a I was working like as a secretary and he wanted me to call them to take like some money off. And I'm like, uh, oh, can you please? And he heard me, he was like, no, listen, I've been a good customer. And he was just like, there were just things he did in his, in his demographic that I wasn't aware of because I'm not 
from that, right? Like you can't teach mm -hmm. it. So there's people like me who are like, I don't need to live near it. I don't need to touch it. I don't care. I don't need my family members to live there. I just want the most money. And then for us, we're definitely looking at, we're trying to make 700 in cash flow off of this property. We're not trying to, we don't need it to be close by. We don't need to that. And then when your mindset is open to that and you're just more willing to just do whatever it takes in the work, you're going to get more cash flow. And so the reason I said it depends, like, because then they're going to find the cheapest house they can. It doesn't matter where it's at. It doesn't matter what mm -hmm. neighborhood they're going to fix it up and go for it. So I like, so it's really individual with people's comfort levels. Cause you got to understand real estate investing is very intimidating. People have lost a lot of money. So it's okay for people to be cautious. Right. So sometimes mm -hmm. for you, it might be a little less cash flow for your first, but then for your second and third, you're a little bit more aggressive. It's pretty awesome that you're able to like adjust, I guess, to that person's kind of comfort level and not just this is the rule. This is it. Yeah, this is no. what you must do type thing. Yeah. Real flexible because, oh, another thing, flexibility. Right. Because you might be in California. You already if I work with my California clients, they already know they got to fly out. OK, because there's nothing in California less than. You play with big money and if you're following me you're, you probably don't have pockets like that right um mm -hmm. but then you know you have other people who um you know and so we start the process we look right we don't go oh i like this place we're like wait we want to see what the market tells us and we look at the numbers and i tell them be flexible because i have people they're like oh i'm in texas i want to look at these texas towns and i was like well what if in oklahoma you get a much better return you get x x and x you know, I mean, do you want to keep looking here, even though you make more money and it's, you know, there's still three hour drives in either direction, um, but you want to be stuck here because the money's mm -hmm. better here. So I really have to get people to get unstuck and be flexible and let us read what the market gives us as far as where the money is versus just going, I came in with this. And when they do that, they have better results. And so in that case, it's like, okay, so their flexibility will also get them more cash flow if they're just open and don't have to say, I have to stay here and they can open themselves up. Can you tell your California investors to stop coming to Texas? <laughs> no, really. <laughs> you, you, you just tell them firmly, don't bring that here. <laughs> tell them firmly, don't, don't bring that to politics here. Don't do it. Just keep telling them. They'll get the point. They got the point. I think everywhere they go, people are like, don't bring that California politics here because we're not. Yeah, yeah I'm, You're I'm, not I'm, trying to turn into you guys. I live okay? in Austin and I mean, they are everywhere here. I think Ooh. everyone in Texas knows several people from California. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's my, my neighbor is literally from California. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To me, it's just more don't bring the politics here. You know, Texas is Texas for a reason to me. And I'm mm -hmm. like, y'all leaving California for a reason. And they're driving the prices up everywhere. So oh, I know that's why I'm like, everyone just needs to tell them very firmly. We're not trying to turn into another California. And it's not just uh, Texas. I guess they're moving everywhere. They're just everywhere. moving out of California. They're <laughs> annoying everybody. I know. I love you Californians, but when it comes to housing market, you guys are annoying people. Like you drive up the cost of the houses. Mm -hmm. You want to bring your politics to places where they just don't do things like that. And it, it just gets a little annoying, right? Although I yeah. do, the individuals I know from California are amazing people. They just don't realize that because of their numbers are so big, they really can move in markets. So I just think it's important to tell, I honestly think it's important to tell them, like, don't bring that stuff here. I really well, do. I, I don't want that. to, I don't want to uh, give them tips <laughs> on how to move to Texas, but that ties <laughs> into my next question. So <laughs> for those that are interested in uh, looking for property outside of their state and investing, uh, what kind of tips do you have for them outside of the Californians? 
<laughs> well, they are my biggest group. So when I said like what I was saying, it's just like because too many of your numbers can really shape and change a market. And uh, so I was just talking on that matter. But I do work with a lot of Californians or when you want to work do out of state. Um, it's a combination of so first figure out your budget. OK, so if you're like a down payment, it's usually 20 percent. OK, so if you're you only have fifteen thousand dollars, you know, you can pretty much afford a house that's anywhere from 30 to fifty five thousand, give or take, because you can come up if you need an extra thousand or two, you'll come up with it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. just give or take 30 to 60 K. Right. And if that's a firm budget, I don't have anything else. No other money. The other money I have is my money that I have to survive on, then it's like, we'll have to look at a market that can facilitate finding a house in that price range that has the amount of work or renovation that you're willing to put into it and the cash flow that we're looking for. But we want to start with what their budget is and then find a market that's appropriate. And that's when a conversation on how far are you willing to travel for this? And some people who've traveled across the country because they're like, I need this. And it's not a game. It's not like something they need the money. They need it so they can get on to what they really want to do in life or get out of a situation or, or job situation they really don't appreciate. And then other people are like, well, I have time and that's fine. And so they're they're not like trying to fly all the way across the country, but it starts there. So we can identify the market that works with their budget. And then if people have fifty thousand dollars. Right. We have a much larger markets that we can go into and they can scale up and down they can pay more for renovation so the house can be in slightly more disrepair than someone who's like on a strict budget and so they can also get more deals because they can get a house in more disrepair right and so for them the markets that they have are a lot more open and maybe they don't have to travel as far do you mind letting us know what the i guess different states that you're investing in uh, I don't say individual markets, but um, pretty much, I'll just say the Midwest and the South and um, the Southeast and a little bit of the Northeast below New York City. But yeah, not the West Coast, <laughs> unless it's like, <laughs> which is fine, but it's different price. Even mobile homes in California are like $150,000 so in a park. So it's not even like it's... What? cheap you know what i mean like lot rents oh, 1500 man. the mobile homes 150k to, you know what i mean like it's not yeah. even necessarily cheap how much traveling do you have to do for your for your out-of-state investments good question um pretty much one or two trips that's it, the way we set it up mm -hmm. so the way if you do it sort of with like knowledge and forethought you do most of your analysis online you can look up tax records right and property mm -hmm. records and the how it looks you know the listing will have information you can email the agent so you can run the numbers that are likely right and i have certain places i go to because i've been using them for like 10 years and they're like dead on so we can get a lot of information up front so you don't have to make a lot of visits because before you even fly out there for the first time we know what's going on in the economy the market we've done the market analyzation we've looked at um all the different aspects and ran the numbers and did everything we could online so by the time you fly out there it's execution and generally like 90 percent of my clients when they fly out for that first time they have six or seven houses they're looking at right so uh, you know well vetted well qualified well analyzed right mm -hmm. that's a lot you know of, of high quality well vetted homes from you know behind the screen so when you get there usually 90 percent will pretty much go okay i looked at seven this one and this one or maybe just one or maybe two of them just depends on their budget um and i get you know all sorts 
um, and they purchase and then they might fly out again or they might not because then you can implement a lot of systems to put in place so you don't have to because the real estate agent can work really closely with you and whatnot until you close. And so, yeah, so in that case, probably, I mean, I, I, you, you probably answered it, but I was just asking about how much do you have to, to travel for your out of state? Yeah. Case. Yeah. So, um, ex so because it's execution, sorry about that. So because it's just execution time, you just that one time, and then you can coordinate and work with people remotely. So maybe one or two times, and then about 10%, they go and they're like, I don't like these neighborhoods. And then they have mm -hmm. to regroup and reformat. And generally on the second trip, they do it, mm -hmm. but you have to see it in person. You can't. Oh, yeah do all this analysis online and buy sight unseen in this price range because there's other right. factors there's neighborhood feel there's um maybe the agent didn't take all the photos uh mm. of all the bad things that happens it's like a 50 50 chance that what you're seeing online is what you get mm -hmm. sometimes it is sometimes it's not so you have to go but uh yeah so that's sort of just how the flow goes i know you said in your book that I guess neighborhoods, like maybe one street might be a bad neighborhood or a bad street, then the next street might be good. So you have to go see it in person. Yes. And that's honestly, yeah, people, uh, um, unless you grew up like that, people just don't have a concept of block to block. If you grew up with it, you completely understand, right? And I always tell people there was like one street. Uh, my cousins lived there. So the only time I went was when my mom and dad took me to go visit my cousins. But outside of that, I never went there, right? Like there's certain areas that unless you're from there and you live there, you don't go. That was three blocks over, right? Because it was all mm -hmm. the grain and all the drug activity. And people just don't understand that, like, literally, I lived in the same house for 18 years. I never went there. <laughs> like, <laughs> ever. It's three blocks away, ever. Because something was always going down, you know what I mean? Unless my mom and dad took me to visit my cousins who did live there. And so people just don't have a concept of how real that is and how you can live on one block. And there's a lot of stuff happening everywhere else, but your one block is pretty secure because the people on it just aren't into that. And it just, the, the people in that particular street are just, it's just not going to go there because it's just not what they're about. They're not about that life, right? So mm -hmm. um, once, and so when I started talking about this, that's why I say I help black professionals invest in minority neighborhoods, because when I started talking about this, I was just telling my truth. But the people who understood what I was talking about was like 90% black people who had mostly black professionals who had a little money saved up who responded. And so there after a while, I was like, okay, let's just let me just be really clear. Like, this is the group <laughs> I'm talking to, right? But they are the ones who resonated the most because, you know, we're first generation. So they, they understood exactly what I was talking about. And as far as that block to block, uh, I kid you not, I stayed at an apartment one time, stayed there for, for a couple of years, never went, you know, too far past it. But across the street was a liquor store. I remember one time it was like a shooting. I'm looking at my window. I'm like, shoot, okay, I'm going to got to get away from the windows. <laughs> but I kid you not, behind the liquor store, I went behind there one day, just drove behind it. I had mansions behind it. Like you had this, uh, I looked it up. There was like this big, uh, high profile dude that stayed in one of them. Like, but literally just east behind the liquor store and then right behind the trees were, were mansions, this real nice affluent neighborhood. Yeah, people just um, don't really understand that concept unless uh, really just people who, who live it do or New Yorkers. <laughs> New Yorkers yeah. understand block to block. <laughs> they walk real fast getting to that subway. You know? <laughs> like, that's the only place I could afford. Listen, I just walk real fast. <laughs> we want to thank Lisa for joining us. Her website is affordablerealestateinvestments.com. She can be found on Facebook, 
Instagram, and YouTube at AffordableREI. Thank you. Her second part comes out in two weeks. Bye.